Hello and welcome to Talk Fertility, a show where we do just that, talk about fertility. I'm Natalie Silverman, host of the Fertility Podcast, which I launched in 2015, once successfully pregnant after having fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, a trained fertility nurse and founder of Your Fertility Journey, where I work one-to-one with women and couples to help them understand and optimise their fertility. So Kate, we are going to be talking today about a topic that's really close to my heart. And I know it's important to you too, but male infertility, male factor infertility, it's something that I had experience of. Our um, diagnosis was that. And as a result, we had to have ICSI treatment. We had success first time, which is amazing. But what I've learned over the last five years is how hard it is for men to talk, how hard it has been for my husband to talk. And for that reason, I've tried to do a number of podcast episodes about male fertility issues, speaking to experts as well as men sharing their stories, of whom there have been more coming through. Um, And in your day-to-day experience, I know you work predominantly with women. What do you feel about men and their reluctance to talk about their feelings and and if it is male factor? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I always think that the man is one half of the equation. And so whilst I generally consult the female partner, that's not always necessarily the case. So it could be that the, I love it when a a man is also present. They don't always, and because I do most of my consultations by online video, if they're not always present, they might be slightly off camera, which is quite interesting. And then I normally say, hi, and get them involved, and they kind of feel it's then okay to come and talk. So there is that reluctance initially to, I think, get involved and to talk. Um, But I hope that I try and pull them in by making them realise that actually it's okay to to come and get involved. Um, But my, as you know, I've talked about it with you before, my biggest beef is the fact that men are often the forgotten part of the equation and it's really wrong. Um, And I think maybe, maybe that's where it all perpetuates from, that as medical professionals, if we're not including the man, maybe the man then feels completely powerless and out of the situation, therefore he he doesn't have a voice. Um, So perhaps a lot of how we start to get men talking more has to come from us as professionals involving the man so they don't feel the forgotten part like the the forgotten partner. Well it's the topic of our conversation today. We both really enjoyed talking with our next guest who's called Rod Silvers and we'll put all his details in the show notes this episode. Rod's done quite a lot of work um, creatively but also he's been speaking out more and more recently about his experience and he's such a character isn't he? 100% I think I'm a little bit in love with him Um, he was incredible and I would say this is really one to enjoy sit down with a cup of tea and a biscuit and enjoy this one and listen out for all his amazing little quotes that he comes out with because they've just had they've had us in stitches it's like t-shirts that we could make of some of his quotes so yeah yeah. listen (laughs) out and then at the end we'll give you our email and you can get in touch and see if you if you picked up on the ones that we particularly enjoyed So Kate and I are now delighted to welcome Rod Silvers. Rod is somebody that I met at the Barbican in London as part of Fertility Fest, which I will make sure there's all information about in the show notes for this episode. And Rod, he likes to talk and you're going to hear his story because he's got one to tell. Welcome, Rod. I know Kate's really looking forward to talking to you as well. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? Hi, Rod. Hi, Rod. Hi, Kate. You and your lovely because... Cotswold ways. Go on. <laughs> 
And you and your lovely East, East London ways. I'll behave. <laughs> So there's been a bit of banter already going on between the three of us before we hit record, I'll be honest, Um, because Kate and I have both previously listened to a very recent Radio 4 documentary that Rod was involved with. And and in the time that I've known Rod and I've been talking to Rod, he's, he's more recently been talking out about his experience as a man dealing with infertility. And we will share again links with the Radio 4 piece. But we'll just talk a bit about that experience because what actually happened was as well as you telling your story, you were the, the lead interview on it. And it was a really fascinating listen and an insight from from you sharing your story. How did it feel? Um, it felt, Natalie, um, uh, I kind of didn't, I didn't really have any expectations. Um and suddenly I was interviewing the most amazing people. I didn't really know what was going to happen. And yeah, it, it, it was, I mean, one, first of all, I, I hate my voice. I hate listening to myself. Um, I so love that's, your voice. Oh, God, no, I honestly, blimey, seriously. It's like, you know, I wanted Brad Pitt and I got armpit. Some things just don't work out. As soon as I hear my voice, it's like, no, I don't hear this. But actually, it was a joy. It was a joy because... I spoke to Robin and Jess and Shell, um, and they were amazing people. Um, and I was honoured, really, to be able to interview them. For someone like me to be able to do something like that on a Radio 4 programme, it, it was an honour. Um, unexpected, but an honour. So presumably then, when you did the Radio 4 interview, that wasn't the first time that you've told your story. So how did it feel when you first started speaking up because we know that men find it difficult to speak up about fertility so how did you, yeah. think when you first told your story to an audience well interestingly kate um there's a bit of a dichotomy going on with me um because i never actually wanted to talk about my story and it's a part of me that still doesn't wanna i think when i did the film and even the play uh, when i wrote the play um my thought was, and I don't know if this is deflecting from my own journey, but my thought was, well, if if there's me, then there's got to be other men like me. And I really, without sounding over the top and you know, sounding naff, I really just wanted to create some kind of forum, some kind of voice, just to be able to say, amen, you know, listen, lads, whoever you are, wherever you're from, it's, it's all right to talk. And I, if I'm being honest with you, ladies, I still struggle a bit of it now. I do everything to try and deflect from actually talking about my journey. Because um, I want to put a positive spin on it. I want to see something positive to come out of what was a difficult journey at the time and the consequences of it. So part of me is still kind of deflecting from having to actually talk about your own journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does, but but you're doing it in a creative way as well, which is how I first got to learn about your app, Fertility Fest. You mentioned then your play and your film. The play is Terry and, te- the play is Terry and Jude. The film is England Expects. Can you give us a premise of both of them? Yeah, well, I think uh, with the film, it was p- specifically about one man's journey of IVF uh, and what I need to do, especially by background, where I'm from, etc. I needed to find... Um, a way where and I've got to say it working class men can talk and because I was a big football fan um, I just used football as a metaphor to explore kind of hope loss and expectation because it was the only place I went to when I was a boy where I saw blokes 
a kind of overtly expression emotions. Um, sometimes not so clever emotions, if you know what I mean, when it came to language and stuff, but actually being quite passionate and being open and crying and, and saying how they feel. So I used that as a metaphor. And with Terry and Jude, which is almost kind of 10 years later, um, I, as I, I think I said at the festival, I didn't really know why I was writing it. And it was only till I went through the journey that I realised, because um, it's about two older single childless men that actually it is probably still a bit of therapy for me because there ain't any closure you just how you deal with life um so they're very two different animals if you like i just think i wanted to explore it again as i get older and facing the future as it is um so yeah uh they're kind of interlinked uh, which makes me quite happy actually ladies if i can say it makes me really happy because when I did the film, there was, you know, I, I tried to get it out there, uh, not as a creative piece, but more just as a creative voice for men. And there was not, nothing out there. Um, doing the play has brought me to lovely, lovely, amazing, uh, fantastic people like yourself. Um, and, and again, it's just the whole journey now has just been something that I weren't expecting. And I'm very grateful. I'm just very grateful that people are talking and it's seeing this community is great um honest to be amongst it and i wanted to ask you about the feedback on it i know because we've talked about it that you've been quite overwhelmed by the people it's led you to but then comments that you've had on social media and other interactions that you've had how, how have they been oh natalie honestly uh, honest i mean blimey it's hard to deal with because because there's so many lovely positive comments made about the play and and, and uh, you know my name is uh, you know the radio 4 show saying some very nice things and i'm going to be honest with you i'm not trying to deflect again but i'm not very good at taking the old compliment stuff i don't feel quite worthy of all that but i'm immensely honored immensely chuffed because what it's doing for, for men like me you don't talk you never talk and suddenly i am and people were saying well it's making a bit of a difference and I can't tell you what that means to me. Yeah. It really means a lot. It really means a huge amount. Especially if I go back to the film where, where there wasn't a lot of comeback. And now I'm getting all these lovely comments that it's not making a difference. That's too heavy. But it, it's having a bit of an impact on people. And that's for someone like me, an empty like me. It, it's just like, it, it, it's unbelievable. It really is. And I'm very flattered and I'm very honoured and I'm very chuffed to get that kind of feedback. Not worthy of it, but I'm very grateful to get it really am and it's been lovely comments loads of lovely comments i think you're very worthy of it god to be honest but just going back to when you you talk i found it really interesting when you said that um about kind of the football environment and that that's where you saw men be most passionate and show most emotion yeah what do you think needs to change to encourage men to talk more and show their their emotion talk more about their fertility issues and also, I'm intrigued to think whether, with all the work that you've been doing, just a, this is a, a double question, um, with all the work that you've been doing, do you think that men are beginning to chat more? I think certainly around this subject matter, there's certainly men beginning to open up and, and, and talk more. I think what we've got to be slightly careful of, uh, and again, uh, this comes down to individuality and personalities and who you are and where you're from, 
is not to make the assumption that all men are just going to talk. I've been aware just very recently that uh, men have been, you know, the odd couple of men, which is great, they're actually opening up the dialogue and the narrative. But I've been aware men have been saying, so when did you realise you can talk or uh, where did you find you can talk? And in my experience, I'm meeting men who don't think they can talk, aren't allowed to talk. A bloke, a bloke actually said to me recently, when did you start talking? And not that I was trying to be pedantic, but I said, what makes you think I still do? What makes you think I can open up? Yeah, I've got a forum now I'm going to do or what I'm doing. But I think we've got to be careful. We don't slip in the assumption that men can suddenly talk. I think in order for men to talk, you need to have people like Benjamin Zephaniah at the festival saying this is my journey. And then people, not just being a celeb, I mean, it should just be damn celebs, but it's a bit like the work I do in mental health in my daytime job it's astonishing the amount of men i meet we do these training sessions where men suddenly come up the end and say okay i don't um i don't think it's a weakness anymore to talk i think it's actually a strength and i think that's the message that needs to be put across to men that it's all right to just say how you're feeling and it's a match it's a cultural thing as well yeah. Um, but I guess, I guess you know, going back to celebrities, I guess that's where it starts, isn't it? If you think about yeah. mental health and how, um, you know, the royal family are kind of the figureheads, really, of, of getting people talking about mental health and the difference that that's already starting to make. Um, so therefore, I think definitely with celebrities and the right people within the fertility community, that's really going to help, especially for men, you know, getting men to, to hopefully open up and talk more as if they see other men and men that they may respect um, absolutely, absolutely. The last couple of years, yeah, and in the last couple of years, you you can see that starting to happen. I think they're going to have to basically, you know, I don't want to go government, etc., but they're going to have to realise that um, that the men need to now because it's having an impact on their lives, a massive impact on their. Well, it always has, but I think it's been highlighted more now because we're living in a much more open culture, which is brilliant, um, and I think that kind of stigma. Um, that's always been attached to men talking is slowly, just slowly starting to uh, um, change. You mentioned, Rod, about the conversations that you had with Robin Hadley and it's Dr. Robin Hadley and it's something that Kate has spoken with Robin. I've spoken to Robin and he talks a lot about the impact on men's emotions and the misunderstanding that men do feel broody but they don't necessarily talk about it. And one of the things he said in when his conversation with you which I loved was when he was talking about the arc of life and that expectation of what a man is to do meet someone get married as a woman or or, or if you're in a same-sex relationship obviously we're, we're talking about everybody here but men have that presumption that they will father children like women have that assumption that they will be able to get pregnant and it's only when you then hit with that awful infertility fist that you realise that's not the case and and I thought Robin's expression of the arc of life and how it, it, it affects you and continues to affect you is something that was conveyed really well is that something that you're still working your way through those feelings yeah it, it's a it's a strange one for me Natalie because um, when we went through our journey um, what I was told at the time um, 
is that, you know, I have got boys and girls swimming. It's just, you know, they're doing bag puss impressions. Do you know what I mean? You know, I gave them a wager. I said, you need to go over the top. Obviously, they're lazy. They had a bad attitude. They didn't want to go out. They're a bit rough. Um, and they wouldn't go over the top. So for me, it was like, I still didn't really get any closure on that. Um, according to all from what I know, I'm still fertile. But then what's interesting, talking to both Robbie and Cheryl, um, and the scientific facts behind it, I may not be. And so I've never had closure. I've never really known one way or the other. If you've got someone saying you're totally infertile, you've got nowhere to go, whilst that's horrible, in one way it gives you closure. If you go back to the arc of life, as Robin was talking about for me, I've never had anyone say to me, you're infertile. So therefore it has a different kind of impact and a different slant in a kind of slightly sad older man type of way, knowing consciously that I'm not infertile, makes me always think I've got a bit of a chance and a hope, even though I wouldn't. And it's not somewhere I want to go now. I'm too old for it. Blimey, I can't get a, out of a beanbag without struggling. How am I going to raise a bleeding <laughs> kid? Right? Um, but I mean, what I mean is, is whether you are or not, whether you're infertile or not, there's still that, there is that total work of life about being the man that doesn't have the kid, the one fella that doesn't have it. And that impacts. And now as I get older, I'm not so bothered. But it's astonishing how much it bothers other people uh, and the questions mm -hmm. that come with it, um, which I put in the film and the stupid comments that come out. Um, I don't know. It's very different now, Natalie, Kate, because where when I did the film, it was really raw and I felt I really needed to do something. Now, all this time later, I've come to terms with it. Um, and I'm quite a driven man. I'm doing loads of stuff. And that was always going to be like that because I was doing that before I got, I got married, et cetera, et cetera. But now it's like I've kind of, I kind of contemplate it more than really study it. I don't know if that's really making any kind of sense. We're just enjoying the inner workings of your, of your minds on this coming out, Rod. So just it's fine. But you've obviously given it a lot of thought because of what you do creatively and because of now you've decided to give it a voice. And so it's constantly evolving how it makes you feel. It does, yeah. It is constantly evolving. And, you know, in a really positive ways. Uh, lots of positive ways. Because honestly, Kate, now, I, I, I never stop to look back. I never stop to think negatively. I just think that's life. Sometimes it's a bitch. And you, oh, God, I just wore. Sorry. It's okay. Because it wasn't all it, just for me about the kids thing. It, it did kind of destroy me marriage as well. And there's other things in, in my life that have happened that have been as tough, if you like. And so I think that has always given me a bit of a balance. But obviously that's quite a selfish point of view. There's there's other people got different lives and they deal with it a different way and everything's important to them. Um, and so by doing what I'm doing in my own tiny, small, ordinary man type of way, um, it's making a difference to my life and, and gives it, you know, some perspective, you know, and even maybe a bit of closure on it. Um, and so for that, uh, I, uh, again, I'm grateful. I, I'm really grateful. Um, and that Robbie, so when Robbie, talk, Robbie talks about the arc of life, um, we're talking about thousands of men here. And, and I think we've all got to find a way how we deal with this stuff. And the women, obviously, and couples, um, and same-sex couples, etc. It's how you deal with it. Um, I mean, I, if I could very quickly say, Nat um, Kate, I did, I did a thing, not, and I'll go another kind of little radio, Soho radio thing, and there was a, 
a lad, a, a gay lad in the audience. And he was telling me he really wants a kid. And he's finding in his own community, the gay community, he's finding it. Obviously, there's people that want kids and there's men that want kids and men that don't. And he was saying he's finding it really hard to um, get the community to open up and have a dialogue, have a narrative, talk about it. And that really, you know, this is why it's all a great learning education process because I'd never thought of that. So he was telling me from his perspective in the gay community how tough it is. And I really felt for him because he couldn't find a forum. And I said to him, well, why don't you set up a forum? Because it's growing. It's some, I've been doing some work within the gay community, getting more people to talk. So it's definitely growing. So definitely encourage. It's having the conversation and encouraging people, like you say, to talk more. Yeah, it is. It is. And, it, it, you know, and it's having another perspective being told to you, thinking, oh, well, blah, blah. I've never thought about it like that. And that's growing. That's evolving. And I think, and good luck to him. He's such a lovely boy as well. I, I really hope he takes it out there and does yeah. something with it. That's great. One thing, Rod, that I'm really intrigued to ask you, um, and, and something that is very, I'm very aware of as a healthcare professional, is the language that I use when I speak to my patients, whether they're um, male or female. And I just wondered how how did you feel that you were treated when you you're speaking to medical professionals and fertility clinics. What, how, what was kind of their reaction to you? And were you, as frequently as, the forgotten partner, or did you feel that you're? Oh, are you talking at the time of the IVF, Kate? Yeah. Are you talking? To, yeah. Oh, blimey, O'Reilly. Um, God, now I will go on. Um, no, I won't. I promise. I'm just winding you up. Um, <laughs> at, at the journey, so I mean, health professionals. At the time, it was pointless. There was no, there was no real people care. Not as a man. I mean, literally, you just stood there like a garden gnome, uh, got your instructions, went out and did it. There was no real kind of aftercare. I mean, it was tough for the women as well, but as a man, there was just no involvement in it whatsoever. I mean, it. And I, I'm a no nonsense fella. Just give me the facts. Don't flannel me. Just give me the facts, and I don't need a cuddle. I just, just give me the information. And communications wise, Kate, um, uh, I don't actually remember other than that moment of going in for a health check right at the beginning with the consultant. I don't remember even talking to a doctor. I don't think a doctor even got me involved in a conversation. It was yeah, based. I mean, that- Sorry. That is so frequently, I mean, it's what I hear all the time, um, that it's it, the focus is so much on the woman and not on the man. Um, yeah. And I know it's something we're going to be talking about in future episodes, but it, it's just, it's so devastating because it, you are you are the forgotten partner and that definitely needs to change. Yeah, My and husband, it's nice to hear that, Kate. Sorry, Natalie, go on. It's okay. I was just going to say, when I was going through treatment with my husband and we had been diagnosed with it being a male factor issue, he was ignored and he would come out of, we would come out of the consultations and he would be so mad and it would be such a stress between the pair of us. And and I've only learned now how commonplace that is. And there's no, and there's no explanation or, or justification of it. Um, we've since been to meet people who have looked 
at both of us. But during that critical period, he was ignored. And it was ridiculous thinking back. Like, I don't understand why there was blatantly two people sat in front of the, you know, the, the, the consultant. So why were they just looking at me? Well, also, uh, I mean, obviously, and hats off to, to your old man, Natalie. What I will say as well, I don't know how he felt. Um, you can answer this one. I think the other thing, if you go back to the whole Mal experience, for me and in my head at the time throughout the whole journey, and again, I'm just, I can only talk about me, is I didn't give a monkeys about myself. All I cared about was her. All I want, all my focus want was is to, one, to make sure I looked after her and two, for her to get what she wanted. So for me, I didn't really even think about how I felt because I was so, um, I wanted me, I wanted me girl to be at me, basically, and I wanted to get what she wants. So I never even really thought about talking to any consultant or any doctor. All I cared about is that um, she was at me. And, and I think as a male thing, Natalie, what, sorry, what's your husband's first name? Do you want to... Rich. Yeah, I don't know how Rich feels, but for me, Natalie, it was like, I just wanted to make sure that she was all right. Because that's how I was brought up, is that you do that kind of thing. So to talk about your feelings and ask about you didn't even come to my mind. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, completely. But I wonder if you'd been told the problem was with you and then not given any explanation or any time of day, you might have felt a bit different. Because I know that when we talked about it, you'd said that there wasn't really a diagnosis as far as you're concerned. It wasn't a male factor. It was just, you know, the outcome was that you've ended up being involuntarily childless. Whereas he was in a place where he'd been told it was him and he had dreadful kind of guilt and shame and like you wanting to look after me but frustration because it was something he couldn't fix and that's awful natalie Richard never been made to feel like that never there should have been aftercare and there should have been thought and there should have been questions um um for him to have to go through that i think just spells out um how men are perceived in this whole kind of process um they're, they're just they're just forgotten you know uh, that's the truth um and there isn't a dialogue because they aren't really inclusive i mean i don't know what it's like now but certainly when i was going through mine it weren't inclusive it was a, a woman problem i mean Cheryl Holm told me as you heard on that radio four that all men should go to gynecologists before they even go to ivf clinics i was astonished by that and i would have loved to have heard that however tough it is if I had known that and a doctor consultant said to me, hold on, check your sperm, go a gynecologist. Let's just explain a little bit because Dr. Cheryl Homer is an andrologist and andrology is the kind of alternative to gynecology with men. So it's that gynecologists look at women's bits and andrologists and urologists look at men's bits. And as you've just explained, all too often it is the women that are focused on and men aren't looked at and as Cheryl quite rightly said there isn't that initial consultation and conversation with men that we we so would like there to be and it's a whole time thing and it's a whole needing to change the practice and and yeah you could tell how staggered you were when you hurt when she said that to you yeah absolutely and thanks for putting that right by the way Natalie you see this is no when problem. he comes here you know gynecologists andrologists listen I don't care if it was a bin man do you know what I mean checking me over at the end of the day as long as I've got a straight answer that would have been something because it gives you the information that you need as I say no flannel just give something straight but the fact that they don't even explore it and, and there was 
uh, the lovely professor that I met at the festival, Jonathan... Jonathan Ramsey, who's a urologist, who's extremely well regarded. And that's who I actually went to see with my husband. And the pair of them had a right old chat. And he examined my husband, which often is never done, Kate. And I'd be interested as to whether that's something that you ever hear discussed. So we went to see him. We've had our son. Um, you know, we'd had success with ICSI treatment, but Jonathan had said that that initial fondling of a man's balls is never done, and it doesn't take very long. And why isn't it done at the like? Why can't there be a semen analysis and a fondle? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, Natalie. I mean, li- literally, it's not done. Um, and there's something called um, a varicocele, which is a little bit like mm. um, varicose veins in the leg, but it's in the testes, and and it's. I wouldn't say it's, it's massively common, but men can have it, but it is often not diagnosed. Um, and men may complain and say it feels like um, worms in the testes. It kind of has that kind of feeling. Um, but if it's diagnosed, and it's really easily diagnosed, you know, by examination and then by having a scan, um, and then you can have varicocele surgery to rectify the problem. And then men's sperm parameters improve dramatically within about three to four months. But because it's not diagnosed, women are then put through IVF. And as you know, Natalie, I'm really, really <clears throat> passionate about this, is that obviously, clearly, some couples do require IVF, but there's so much that can be done to improve natural fertility, but very little consideration is given to that. But if you can imagine what a, a couple, it's not just a woman, but the couple would have to go through with numerous rounds of IVF, yet if a varicocele was identified and treated that wouldn't have to happen. And all that money that wouldn't have to be spent, all that invasive treatment that wouldn't have to occur, and all that emotional heartbreak that wouldn't have to happen for some simple examination and scan. It's just incredible. Wow. But, but yes, to answer your wow. question shortly, um, I see it all the time. It's very annoying. But that's fascinating to hear. <laughs> okay, the good thing is that that's progress though, because you've got you and Cheryl and Jonathan and all these lovely, lovely professionals that are now tacking that. Um, and I wish I had that, honestly. God, they could have done a self-help one. I mean, you just said yourself, Natalie, you know, testing out your gonads. I do that all the time, for God's sake. I could have just done a self-help myself and worked it out. I'm like David Attenborough when I go down now. I mean, really, <laughs> it's like all jokes are sort of, I'm only messing about, but stuff like that is it, it, yeah. massive. It's massive before you go to an IVF clinic. Do you think, Kate, that that kind of narrative... Um, is getting out there more to couples. Yeah, so they, they do go for those checks. Well, to be honest, I think it it, it, it it takes people like you to talk to start talking about it more. I think <clears throat> urologists and um, andrologists have been trying for quite a long time, like Cheryl, for example, um, to raise awareness. But... What they're up against and what we're all up against is big IVF clinics and big pharma companies mm. that actually that's where the money is. And, I, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's very difficult to talk about this and it's a, a very sensitive subject. But is it really going to stop that IVF, is, is, is that push to IVF really going to stop when you're looking at the financial income that comes from that. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure whether this is necessarily a conversation for now, but it is, it is yes, a, sure. <clears throat> it's, it is a difficult situation. 
Well, I, 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 yeah, and it is a difficult one. And obviously, with respect, obviously, I'm not trying to preposition, but as you, I don't know how you feel, Natalie, but certainly for me, as long as you've got couples living on hope, then sometimes they'll do anything. Well, it's an interesting one, Rod, that you brought up because there's a there's another conversation that I've had, which I've just recently shared with Kate, which is a guy who wanted to share his story with me, who um, is in quite a predicament, having gone through three failed rounds of treatment through the NHS. And it actually turned out that there was a problem with him that could have been discovered if some of these early tests that Jonathan try to get happening happen because he had they had that on their third test and they found they were originally told that there wasn't really a problem with him and that he'd probably be okay and that if there was sperm DNA fragmentation that the egg could repair it and it was the wrong information and so they therefore used up their three NHS cycles and then found out that really there was much more that he could do and is now doing but they're going to have to pay for treatment so again whether or not that's a conversation for now it's a conversation that we're having um and it's a conversation that we're on a mission to get more out there. And and ultimately, us talking about this as a male factor thing and you putting a spotlight on it, Rod, and every conversation you have, you'll learn a bit more to share to someone else. Likewise with us. Yeah, talking about it can only be a good thing. It's just moving it on. And as, as well as Rod, as, as well as talking, I'm kind of intrigued about your writing. And is is your writing your therapy and a way that you can make sense of your journey and your subsequent childlessness yeah I'd say 100% um in a weird way way, Kate I feel a little bit of a fraud because you know I am a slightly little I'm kind of an actor lovey do you know what I mean I just like being creative um and writing and uh, and doing the performing etc etc but actually with the writing both with the film and Terry and Jude um there was an element of therapy about it and also because 10 years ago um there wasn't really a voice and, and I, I I'm quite a numpty do you know when I get my teeth at the sun I want to do it and I don't want to let it go um and I've got a big math uh and I spent most of my younger life not using it not really doing that one in life and I think as I've got older hopefully got mature a bit more experience and not such a just this kind of loud mouth cockney. I wanted to prove that I um, I had a voice, um, and my writing is in really really important to me. I'm not saying it's any good, but it's important to me in this particular subject matter. It's something I've personally been through, and I think just for me as a writer, I just felt it's important that that I write about it because I've been through it. Um, so it's weird because in one way you're creative that just wants to, you know. Uh, tell a story and put it out there but in this particular thing it was definitely um it's been a bit of my therapy without a doubt it's really helped mm. it's really really helped because um it helps you be able to talk um in a way where you can't normally talk um as i said to you before right at the beginning i struggle i'm i'm really rambling here now but um whenever i have to talk about me ladies i'm telling you i really do ramble and my brain starts to go so i apologize because actually if i really truly reflect um i start to struggle because i find it hard to talk about uh my own journey so an answer to your question kate which you also asked me about 10 days ago um <laughs> Yes, my my writing is really important to me. It is a lot of it is therapy for me, but I don't want it to appear self indulgent. I think that's what I struggle with. The, oh, it's all about me, my loves and me. Well, I think it's quite an important message, you know, fundamentally 
and and I think what it's then created these conversations I think is is important um and one thing that we 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 want to kind of end with because we know we could probably go and talk in for another 10 days is looking back on what you know and what you learn and the conversations that you've since had knowing that you didn't talk at the time that it mattered if you could what would you say to your younger fertile self about what was to unfold it's a hard one to answer because at the time of the journey and, and after um and even a little bit now um i literally hate myself um for not giving my wife what she wanted um and i still struggle to reflect on myself because i was always too busy thinking about her um i would have said tell her how you feel tell someone how you feel because i kept my mouth shut and blamed myself that's what I would tell myself going back to that time. I'd say talk to someone. And more importantly, probably tell her how you feel um, instead of copying out, which is what I did. And I'd tell my younger self that, um, yeah, it, it, it's actually, going back what I said before, it's actually quite a strength to say something and it's not a weakness. And that's probably what I would tell myself. Yeah, I, I can't say that, you know, maybe a magic wand, it would have changed everything. But I think certainly I would have made, maybe it said something because not a lot of people asked. Um, and I think that just reinforced the guilt as a man of being able to express and say how he feels. So I would go back, give myself a slap and say, come on, talk to someone, do something about it. Um, because that would have probably stopped me from not giving myself such an odd time and that I'll always give myself an odd time for now because I should have done it then that's what I would do ladies sorry I don't want to sound doom and gloomy that's what I would no, do no no sound advice from the heart appreciate it thank you Rod it's been a joy thank you Natalie thank you, thank you Kate Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Fertility Podcast where I've been taking some of the best bits from Fertility Fest to give you a short series of abridged versions of some of the sessions that took place. It may well be a man's world but not when it comes to infertility. For way too long the male experience has been invisible and traditionally the vast majority of tests and treatment have been focused on women. It's been assumed that men have the easy bits and all they need to do is go into a room with their favourite porn magazine or movie and, you know, do the business. But is this really true? In the Invisible Man session, which ran twice over Fertility Fest, there was some brilliant artists and conversations and you're going to hear actor and writer Rod Silvers who spoke about his short film England Expects which uses football as a metaphor for going through unsuccessful IVF and his follow-up play Terry and Jude which looks at the lives of two older single childless men. Now here Rod shares his experience of IVF and the impact it had on his relationship. A few years later, 10 odd years later, I meet this lovely woman and she must have had mental health issues, because she ended up marrying me. And she was totally different than me. She was open, she loved to talk, she could talk so much, she should have sponsored her. But me, I still struggled. I could talk to people about them. I loved asking people about themselves. I loved trying to be support. I'm not saying I'm really good at it, but I loved trying to, I loved hearing what people had to say. But I couldn't actually talk to myself. So, years into the marriage, we decided we wanted to go for a family. And we tried the usual way. 
and he said it worked. So we did what quite a few people did, and we went, your IVF broke. And two things came out quite quickly. One, my wife was older, two, my boys and the girls weren't swimming as well as they could be. They were backwards. It was backwards in there, basically. They needed waking up. So I did what any responsible adult did. I gave them a pay rise, I took them out shopping, I gave them swimming lessons. I said, come on, let's get going. And they did, to be fair. They did get going. And they took what she had, and they took what I had, and they put them together, and we did the first IVF journey, and it didn't work. And so going back to the value, I'd already come into this, because she kept on asking, talk to me, talk to me. And I was like, I can't talk, I don't know how to talk. I can talk to you, I don't want to talk. So the first one failed, and the thing that stood out to me more than anything else on that journey is that the hardest part was watching my wife getting beaten up and me not being able to do anything about it. This is IVF, this is science, couldn't do nothing. So going back to my so-called values, I already couldn't talk, but now I couldn't fight. Just had to take it on the chin, which makes you feel even more invisible, basically, because there's nothing you can do. So after a bit of soul searching, we thought we'd try again. And whilst I couldn't talk, this little voice inside me, my creative voice, I don't know why I keep doing that to create with it, you know, I do that sometimes as well. Even though I couldn't talk anymore, there's this little voice starting to say, yeah, right, you can't talk, but it would be nice if someone asked how I felt, but no one ever did. You're the bloke, let's get on with it. So we did it again, and it failed again. Um, and then it just went downhill. So I don't want to go on a downhill there, but it just went downhill. She lost all her confidence. Um, the IVF clinic, don't want to get political, got their money, we were gone, there was no aftertaste, you just do it, you leave it. And eventually it ended up, not just that, a few other things, but ended up uh, with divorce. The expert panel for this session was made up of Dr Benjamin Abramov, Medical Director of Gennett City Fertility, and Jonathan Ramsey, Consultant Urologist at Hammersmith and Charing Cross Hospital. First of all, I would like to thank the two of you very much. It's uh, I enjoyed it, it humbled me, and it reminded me just how bad my lot, the doctors, are at doing this. We are hopeless. That, that, an awful lot of that is my fault because one hasn't been able to get to a sufficient number of medical students to say, you can't say zero. You can't do it like that. That is terrible. You put it in the context of telling somebody it's a cancer of the lung, and that's it. There's no treatment. Because this zero business isn't a diagnosis. It's awful. And then we've not taught doctors to even look at a man, just look and smile and empathize and that's because you can't do that as a professional unless you can take it further you've got to be able to understand and answer the questions and if you can't do that then you don't invite the response because then you'll go down a track where you fear you won't have the answers and of course Doctors like to control. And as soon as the man says, why is it zero? We're out of control because we can't answer or help. So 
I apologize on behalf of all of my lot, and it makes what you two have done uh, even more notable. So yes, the sperm counts are going down. David Attenborough <laughs> said the sea's full of plastic, and everybody said, oh yes, of course. And so we are gradually poisoning ourselves. And it's not surprising that uh, the first thing to go is fertility because it's a very sensitive business. And uh, I think in answer to your question, I mean, we, we're only just realizing that um, we can look more closely at sperm even when there's plenty of it. And the closer we look, the more we find that it's not as good as it looks down the microscope because you can look into it and look at its DNA. So I think there is a unrecognized, certainly unspoken about, which doesn't help, uh, crisis. But it's not one we can't repair. Because after all, it's only recognizing 50% of the problem. And then empathizing with it and investigating it. The outcome may be the same, but the journey might be a lot more comfortable. If you go to thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash invisible man, as always, I'll put links back to the Fertility Fest website as well as the other showcase episodes we've shared. Now, I've got quite a few episodes about male fertility issues within the Fertility Podcast website where there's a number of expert conversations as well as men sharing their stories. So if it is an issue that you are keen to get your head around more, then hopefully that will be really helpful for you. So that was an amazing conversation with Rod, but it was such a lengthy one that we need to jump straight into our questions, which we're encouraging you to send through to us. And I'll give you the email after Kate answers your question. Yes, this is one that we had emailed. Um, My partner suffers from erectile dysfunction and having sex every two to three days, as is the recommendation, is impossible. And the question was, would you advise anything else? So I think it's It is important for generally if you can have sex every um, two to three days throughout the cycle. Um, But in situations where a partner may be suffering from erectile dysfunction, actually it's more important to really identify and learn an accurate way of determining the fertile time. Any sex that occurs in the lead up to ovulation, so that's five to seven days and the day of ovulation, can result in a pregnancy. So that would be, in, in this circumstance, if if having sex regularly was a real issue, then that's what we would recommend. But absolutely the most important thing is for neither of you to feel under pressure because certainly that can exacerbate erectile dysfunction. Um, and I would strongly recommend for this lady and, this, and the partner that they um, ask their GP for referral to a psychosexual counsellor um, as they can really help not only with the physical aspects that may be related to erectile dysfunction, but also the psychological and emotional problems that can be and related to the disorder. Really interesting. Thank you, Kay. And if you've got more questions, please do email us, talkfertility at gmail.com, because each week we are endeavouring to answer them. So any question, no question is too stupid, too small, too big. We will do our best to tackle them. Do join us next week, because we're going to be continuing our theme of male infertility, aren't we? We are. It's going to be a definite one to tune into. Thank you for listening. 